0: We're back. It's The Distraction, and I'm Drew McGarry. Sorry. Wow. That's a bad start. I'm David Roth. Uh, Drew McGarry is on vacation. He's in South Carolina with his family, uh, tormenting his coworkers with photos. And I'm on Zoom with uh, Defector Editor-in-Chief Tom Lay, the CEO of Big Cool Tom Media, LLC, and uh, with the managing editor of Fangraphs, Meg Rowley, who um, is joining us from Arizona early in the morning. To uh, I think probably you thought you were going to be talking about baseball, but uh, I didn't sleep very well last night because of the 17-game NFL schedule, and I just want to get on the record with some of that stuff. Uh, Tom already had to deal with a lot of this. Meg, are you familiar with what I'm talking about?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan, um, so I'm excited to uh, be stressed and miserable about a winning team for one game more.
0: Are you concerned about them going ten and seven, and then you having to look at that record and be like, "That's not right at all"?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm still wrapping my mind around last year's like final standings for baseball. Um, I lived through the pandemic along with everyone else, and it defined every moment of my 2020. And I will still fuck that up for the rest of my life. Oh, we do swears on this, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. you're not allowed to use the F word. Oh. <laughs> no, it's fine. You're uh, terrible guest. No, we usually try to get him in uh like under the like if we if we've gone two minutes without a harder core curse, then usually we just go back and re-record the episode. So we're good because <laughs> that's that was like one thirty seven. <laughs> oh uh, boy. How uh how are things? Um, where you are living, pandemic-wise, right now? We always have to uh, ask this, even though the answers are always depressing.
1: They're 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 odd. Um, they're odd. I I moved down here last November, um, and it's a, it's been a strange mix of things. Uh, Doug Ducey recently uh, repealed the ability for local municipalities to have mask mandates, although businesses can still have mask mandates. So I think that the state. Really needs to grapple with putting an ice cream man in charge of their affairs, uh, but our vaccine rollout is going pretty well. I got my first shot uh, over the weekend, nice. so it's a it's a weird mix of things. But I I worry about how uh, how folks are going to behave now that the the local mask mandates have technically expired, and how unpleasant they will be to service workers who try to enforce some semblance of safety. So. Mic, real mixed bag down here.
0: I was looking for an excuse to treat people rudely. Uh, I think that that's kind of like been the way that a lot of this is manifest around here, too. Is just that, like, the stuff that can be made to work with money works, and then the rest of it is just a matter of whether you value people or not. Right. And uh, the answer to that isn't always what you want. Yeah. You, you are also in line for a shot now, right? Me? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I am getting jabbed uh, tomorrow. I, I mean, I guess. I don't know if I should be sharing my medical information on the on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, just, just the
0: last last four years social usually is. What yeah, you know. no, whatever.
2: I mean, I, yeah, I'll, I'll probably like tweet a picture of it anyway. So yes, I'm very excited to get jabbed tomorrow. Um, in in like, I'm curious about people who have lived in like, you know, places like Arizona throughout this. Like, have you experienced someone like screaming at you for wearing a mask? Like, how unpleasant has it been to just like try to not infect people with the coronavirus i
1: I have not had a hard time of it now i you know i haven't been here for the whole pandemic Mm -hmm. it is a sharp contrast in terms of what's open to to where i lived prior to this in in washington which has been taking the pandemic very very seriously from the jump so that part of it has been strange it's weird to see just how much indoor dining there is just like a lot there's a lot of indoor dining going on um
2: well it's hot there what else are you going to do you know you got to get that ac
0: you,
1: but but it's not it's it's so pleasant right now this is like the good time of year you could sit out on the patio where the air moves around instead of <laughs> inside with plexiglass partitions between the booths where it's like did we did we forget what we learned about this particular disease?
0: I think that particular bit of theater is going to be the thing, I think, that stays with me the longest. It's, like, just the sad little attempts to, like—you can see the rationalization in physical form there, where they're like, sure. we, uh, we've, we've erected a partition— that rises nearly to your head level right. uh, and therefore you are now safe from the novel coronavirus COVID nineteen. Yeah. Here in our <laughs> establishment. Yeah. I think it was Clue Haywood, uh, who had a tweet about Arizona dining where he talked about a like a restaurant that had two big dining rooms to serve you, you know, like just some big like Scottsdale place. And the way that they'd responded to the occupancy limitations was just closing one of the dining rooms and having the other one run at full occupancy, (laughs) which again is one of those things where like we talk a lot about uh, metaphors failing, but that is just 100% the response to this thing. I do
2: think that there's, I I mean, so my brother uh, used to live in Tucson and for when he was in grad school and uh, his wife's family is from Tucson. And so I, I also used to go there for like spring training and I went to Phoenix once for a a work trip. And like over the course of that time I've developed sort of a theory that I think is not an original theory. I'm sure other people have it, but that uh, none of those places should exist. And um, it is like just too hot to have a functioning society in those cities. And the fact that people still try to do it leads to all kinds of insane outcomes. And I think that people's brains literally get like boiled (laughs) when they live there too long and like the whole just everything just in Arizona where people have tried to to create cities just feels like an affront to God and and nature like I remember going to a mall because I had to like buy batteries when I was there for work and uh you know it's so hot there it's an outdoor mall but all of the sidewalks just had constant water spraying on you right the like, misters yeah and it's like just 24 hours a day there's just misters going on and it's like maybe um maybe we shouldn't have done that i i realize that's probably very offensive for someone who lives in arizona but i'm you know i'm speaking my truth so feel free to um you know tell me to go fuck myself yeah for
0: that meg one. what was the why did you move to a dystopia <laughs> that uh is an affront to all that is holy
1: uh well was you it know, the
0: dry heat
1: uh it <laughs> It kind of was the the dry heat. I mean, it's it's nice to have access to baseball much more of the year uh, here, so that part is good. Um, I I found myself and I feel um, a little bit embarrassed admitting this as someone who grew up in Seattle and lived in the Pacific Northwest for um, a good chunk of her life. I found the the winters there like increasingly hard to bear. Um, it was very nice to have like a mostly sunny winter i was like oh yeah seasonal affective disorder i think i (laughs) i think i had that (laughs) i think i had the sad (laughs) so so like that that was that was a lot of it and um you know when it's 120 in august i will feel very very foolish but um it's nice to to look out when it's raining and be like oh yeah we need that this is so nice. It smells good. You know, you appreciate it uh, in, a, in a way that, you know, when it's March and you haven't seen the sun for six months in Seattle, you're like, I think vampires are real. I, I get it.
0: <laughs> I would like to have the Arizona spring training experience, I think, less than I'd want to have the Florida spring training experience. But I'm, I'm curious about both. I've never done it. You've never and, done it? You know, Yeah, and all years of being a baseball pervert. The issue, or one of the big issues with the spring training thing for me is that the Mets famously play in what is, like, I think by wide acclaim the shittiest and most boring city in the entire United States during spring (laughs) training, which is Port (laughs) St. Lucie, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was the biggest speculation that I saw among, like, the Mets, the people that have, like, had to cover the Mets uh, regarding the Lindor-Cohen negotiations still ongoing over the um, potential... Franchise changing contract was what restaurant would you have dinner at if you were Steve Cohen in Port St. Lucie? Because everyone's like, there's not like mm. an oak room at Beef O'Brien's or whatever. <laughs> like, there's just like, it's all the same shit.
2: That used to be the case in, uh, in, in Tucson. Well, I, I would go to spring training in Tucson basically every year in my childhood for like eight straight years. And uh, we would always stay at this hotel where the Rockies would also stay. And the only restaurant near it was a TGI Friday's. that was like across the street, like across the highway. Yeah. You'd go into this TGI Friday's like after a day of watching spring training games and like Vinny Castilla would be in there just like getting <laughs> fucked up. And then like <laughs> Ellis Burks would walk in later. And like I, we saw Alex Rodriguez in there one time because they played a game against the Rockies and they were staying That's in Tucson. Sweet. And it was just so weird to be like, you're literally in a TGI Fridays. Like, it's just a TGI Fridays. And, like, there's a table and it's like Dante Pichette, Vinny Castilla, like, all these guys who you're just watching play baseball, just like in their jeans, like having coronas, like, yeah. Hanging out. I'm, like, I don't know if that was like, I, I guess I don't know if that still happens in spring training. I feel like not really, because now all these teams have these big complexes that are like, you know, these sort of like little cities that they made. But back then, it was really just like, there's High Corbett Field. there's the one hotel the Rockies stayed at, and TGI Fridays, and that was it.
1: Well, it, it kind of depends because, like, all those spring training stuff is in the, the greater Phoenix area now. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that one thing that I've never done Florida spring training um, because, I mean, the, the folks listening won't be able to see this, but like, th- this hair and the humidity <laughs> is like not, um, not a thing that I need to walk out in public with, but um, the. It's very, it's highly variable. The the quality of the cuisine, the um, the spot where the uh, Cleveland team and the Reds play out in Goodyear. There's like a a team um, dorm facility across the street where Cleveland puts up a lot of their minor leaguers, and then there is literally a an airstrip behind it that has like been abandoned but still holds airplanes, and then that's <laughs> it. Like it's just out in the like middle of nothing by
0: law for yeah. Arizona. Like there has to be some place like spooky where like Nicolas Cage could get an inexpensive <laughs> shootout yes. in the 90s movie. I <laughs> mean, it,
1: it does. It does create some really cool backdrops when you when you're looking at the backfield photos because they're just like these planes looming in the distance, but there's not a lot out in Goodyear. Peoria where the Mariners play is just, and I say this affectionately because, you know, there are some good spots hidden away, tucked away in the, in the strip malls here, but like, it is just, strip malls there's not a ton of like downtown peoria but then you go to like salt river field where the the rockies and the d-backs play and that ballpark is beautiful it is arguably nicer than chase field where the d-backs play their regular season games which is just like the nicest costco you've ever watched a baseball game in. (laughs) although I, i i sneaky love that ballpark even though it is kind of Bazaar and it's in its aesthetic um and and you know they're close to scottsdale where there's like you know good restaurants and then also like college kids doing you know tequila shooters or whatever off someone's belly so it, it's uh there's a real range there are lots of sights and sounds
0: it's a shame that there's no longer the like the forced sort of communion of a tgi fridays where everyone has to go
2: yeah it was the yeah. like, it was a magical like- time
0: there Tom might a, have really been there at like the last moment when like a rod would have to touch one of those like huge laminated menus well, and just like there, page through it.
1: There might be some hope because uh, the the Peoria ballpark where the Mariners and the Padres play is across the street from a cheesecake factory. Oh, so after some
2: cheesecake factory. They're there there is there.
1: some. Yeah. There's some Fernando Tatis Jr. in a cheesecake factory <laughs> potential that might be nice. underexplored
0: getting the uh just like a pound of pasta with two chicken breasts on top of it i
1: want the healthy option. mindset
0: food i yep. want the
1: healthy option which uh adds more chicken to the pasta for protein <laughs> it's,
0: well it's skinless so. <laughs> yeah I've not, well i've not been to a cheesecake factory either although that was uh we've Like the younger people, this is one of the few times I've actually like been able to uh, truly relate to people whose ages start with a two. Mm. Um, When a Cheesecake Factory opened near my uh, like in like Pasadena when I went to school in Southern California, that was like a really like a date spot. Like that was like a place where like if you that's how you showed that you were serious about this relationship was to take someone someplace and then just get you know like each of you gets an entire box of pasta covered Mm. in just like. Massive amounts of uh vegetable or meat,
2: yeah, the cheesecake factory in Denver was where like uh you know you would um go to dinner before prom you know yeah. you were like we're gonna fucking do it up tonight <laughs> or like if you were a freshman in college and you still hadn't really learned that's not cool, you'd like take your girlfriend there or something yeah. like it was it was cool when we were when we were teens
1: we're getting the fancy salad, it has mandarin oranges on it. <laughs>
0: And then just, like, eating like you're running a marathon the next day. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, fucking massive car loading. Uh, we can keep doing, uh, like, big box dining uh, rundown Wait. stuff in probably the second uh, segment. But the whole uh, purpose, of course, of <laughs> having a baseball expert on the uh, podcast in Meg, uh, Tom and I have the same level of expertise, which is that we get upset mm-hmm. sometimes about our kids. <laughs> yeah, We're doing, uh, we're
2: doing – Thirty minutes on the Rockies and then like a hard forty-five on the Mets, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go deep, just do uh like an expanded sort of roster rundown with the Rocks. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a Scott Oberg health update, um, uh, presumably. I uh, hope he's all right. Actually, that was scary. Yeah, uh, it's and- not the best. Yeah, the um the question I was going to ask Meg is uh just if, if for people that are maybe um looking to have kind of an energy saver mode approach to the baseball season, can you just give a a few teams that people don't need to worry about or think about for the next few months?
1: Oh, sure. Gosh, uh I might be anticipating a later topic, but unfortunately, the list is long. <laughs> um, I, if I were, if I were a discerning baseball fan who didn't have professional obligations, I would be very comfortable skipping pretty much all of the Rangers. Um, most of the Mariners, that's not totally fair. They have some young guys who are fun and interesting, although not all of their fun and interesting young guys are on the opening day roster, but that's another conversation.
0: Well, not all of their fun young guys were willing to sign uh, below-market extensions <laughs> buying out their Arbyers, so...
1: My favorite team! Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the the Rockies are, are pretty missable, I'm sorry You're being to pretty say. you are
2: being very kind. Yeah, they're so. pretty
1: missable. Um, the Pirates are a weird are a weird uh, gamble because Brian Hayes is like legitimately fun and fantastic to watch, um, but he only plays one position and is not allowed to bat for the entire game, so your mileage may vary there. Although they do have some other um, young pieces who are kind of interesting, um, you know. We can just run through like the bottom of our playoff odds at Fangraphs. So the Orioles very missable. Um, you know, the Rays are going to look low to folks who might check in on our playoff odds, but they will be irritatingly watchable um, because our playoff odds have a, a hard time with the kind of depth that they have. So that's a thing to be cognizant of. Um, the The Mar- the I mentioned the Mariners. The Royals think that they're competing this year. They're, they're a weird,
0: my, weird team. One of my favorite <laughs> offseason teams. There's only a couple of teams this offseason that bothered trying to try yeah, and the Royals were definitely the funniest of those. Like they were just sort of like ready to lock it in. They're like, well, we've got three different fourth starters coming up through the system. They're just about ready. We locked up Hunter Dozier. It's time to go big. And like they kind of went big by royal standards. like they yeah. acquired major league players on the free agent market and via trade. Yeah. They, Which, again, is the sort of thing that would be unremarkable were it not for the entire rest of baseball being the way it is.
1: Right. Yeah. They Andrew Benintendi now plays with the Royals for people who may be tuned out of the Red Sox last year and are going to be shocked to find just a totally different outfield than what they're used to. Uh, But yeah, the the Royals extended Salvador Perez, and they are going to give some of their young starters run in that rotation. And, um, you know, they might hit a little bit more than we're uh, counting on. I have a feeling they're going to be like, you know, when you do your staff predictions, you're like, I can't just do what the projections say, because that's really boring. And there's always some team that over underperforms. So I have a feeling that the Royals are going to be like a sneaky wild pick that people will will turn to. Um, But it I, I don't know. Like there's there are a lot of bad teams. Um, there are a lot of teams that are actively not trying. There are some teams that are sort of trying but aren't necessarily going to be good. Uh, in spite of that, um, but there are some some interesting uh, clubs. They just mostly don't play. in, say like the NL Central. Um, yeah, that's so kind of
0: a, a challenge with all of this, like in terms of I, I dropped out last year in a way that I have never dropped out of a baseball season before. Like, just in terms of, I mean, it was obvious that it was all, like, sort of fluky and it felt wrong and I wasn't having fun watching it because, you know, mostly because my team was bad. I don't Mm want to act like this was somehow a principled decision on my part. (laughs) But it was also, like, coming back to it after that experience and especially, you know, after the last few off seasons, this kind of, like, slow motion, capital strike thing happening. I don't think I've felt as sort of, like, arm's length from baseball as I, I do now. Yeah. In terms of just like not really feeling like this is something that I 100% want to commit my emotional energy to. I will. I know that I will. Yeah. But it just feels like scuzzier and like cheesier than it has.
1: Well, I I will say in defense of the sport that my site relies on that there are some legitimately <laughs> very very fun baseball teams um and like you you David root for one of them. Um infuriating at times confusing, always like frustratingly scandalous but good probably
0: yeah i think the mets will be decently good they're just also like intent on finding a way this is something i didn't anticipate right so you get sold from this family of like broke long island small timers (laughs) like like broke billionaire small timers you know like they have like boats and stuff like that but they don't like to make payroll like on the day that payroll is due so then think gets sold to, like, a prolific financial criminal about whom the one thing we know—well, two things. One, he has, like, a big art collection, and two, he has literally billions of dollars. <laughs> and they're doing the same shit that the broke Long Island guys did, where they're, like, negotiating a contract weirdly in public on the back pages of tabloids that are, like, more than happy to run it up there. But it's, like—it all has the vibe of, like— a Donald Trump divorce <laughs> like there's just a lot of like twists and turns all kind of pointing in a you know inevitable direction it's not a fun energy I, and definitely not what you want to take like this is going to be fucking opening day when people hear this like I should be excited yeah to see my team and instead it's uh you know whatever going back and forth over whether it will be a record-setting tenure or a record-setting 12-year contract
1: yeah, I I don't know what amount of money I would need to have to never tweet again, but it I, it would not take 16 billion dollars. I yeah, I could be should. had for a lot less than that.
0: I think you absolutely have to like put a cap on Twitter, like a revenue cap. Yeah. Like in terms of like if you have a billion dollars, you don't get the post, yeah. which is fine. You get other stuff. Like you can just have an island.
1: Right. You have a billion dollars and a weird shark cut up into slices that you view as art. Like that's yeah. a thing you have. <laughs>
0: Was
2: I, I was I'm very I'm very confused about the Lindor thing because like you were saying, Roth, like even the money aside, I mean, even if, you know, Cohen wasn't uh just an obscene billionaire and he was just like a regular billionaire, isn't the easiest thing to do in the world on the first you know, your first go around to just like splurge a little bit? Especially when it's Francisco Lindor, like, you know, like
0: that's a common misconception, Tom.
2: <laughs> well, and it, it seems to me like, you know, with his tweet and everything, being like, well, I, I hope Lindor signs, like, you know, whatever whatever that was supposed to be. It's like a lot of times these guys are just more concerned with, uh, you know, projecting um, their own, like, canniness and, like, savvy rather than yeah. just doing shit that would actually make the fans happy. Like, I, I can imagine in some twisted way, Cohen is like, well, no – to show people that I know what I'm doing, that I'm like a good owner. I've got to not overpay here. You know, I've got to like show, I know how to like play the game. And meanwhile, you know, every Mets fan is just like, fuck you. Just please, please pay, pay the guy you traded for so that he'll stay here. We don't lose the video. And it's just, I, I, I am curious. It's like, I don't know how people, I mean, I guess, you know, if you've got $16 billion, a lot of weird things happen to your brain. Um, but it's just like, it's so much easier to just not, be that way and just, just like sort of be a silent rich person who pays the money when it's necessary.
0: You might think that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been weird to see. Cause I think that's exactly the right read on it, That I think that there is this sense that like that distance between the two parties is like, especially over the course of a contract, as long as this one will certainly be like, this is something that's going to pay Lindor a lot of money for at least a decade the amount of money that this is going to come down to, I think, in the end is going to be, like, $10 million.
2: Yeah, he spends that on, like, a painting. I mean, he, he bought a painting for, like, $150 million recently. Like Yeah, whatever. And, he,
0: and basically bought it because he didn't know what else to do with that money <laughs> and was worried he'd have to pay taxes on it. Like, this right. is the sort right. of thing where, like... But that, I think that element of it, that sort of, like, the deal-brain mindset that, like, a certain type of rich person has. And I think it's, like, this is where you get the difference of like the Wilpons kind of like backed their way into even being rich, let alone owning a team, right? Like all of the, the real estate investments that they had that made them money were like tax shelter things that they thought they were going to lose money on. And -hmm. the things they thought they were going to make money on never got built because they're (laughs) PUDs and they don't know what they're doing with Cohen. Like the guy has actually gotten a lot of this stuff, right. And I feel like it's very important to him that this not be the contract that David Meter, who's the the Lindor Party's intermediary, that that guy demanded. Mm -hmm. Now, that means that it's the same average annual value, but it's 11 years instead of 12. I think he'd probably call that a win. I don't know why, but I also don't have billions of dollars, and I'm not competitive about shit like that. Like, I'd be more competitive about making the team good. But this is right. one of the reasons why I'm not even entrusted with decision making capacities at the place where I work.
2: <laughs> well, hey, okay, for the it's a workers cooperative. You have to- <laughs> right. oh wow, tell me right a little here. bit of <laughs> David Roth is that is that being shunted to the side?
0: <laughs> I've been I, I think canceled that, for my truth.
1: Yeah, I think the interesting like potential miscalculation here, and you know it was. It, I don't think that Lindor is likely to get three hundred and eighty-five million dollars. Like I think that the the number will come in under that. But the the odd thing about all of this is that I don't think that it is ludicrous at all to think that he can best three twenty-five on the free agent market should he go to free agency and if he doesn't he won't come in that much under 325 so there's no incentive for him to rush a negotiation and take less than he thinks he's worth and of course when I tweeted about this yesterday like it's always the guys who are like horniest for economics who when presented (laughs) with a situation like this are like what possible metric could we use to establish a value for Francisco Lindor and I'm like I don't know man like you can be you can be really jacked for Hayek or you can like accept that the free market might bear a big contract for a a player, but you can't do both at the same time. Like, you have to pick a lane. And we can look at what he's projected to do. Now, projections are not perfect. And we can look at what a win fetches in the open market, which, again, can vary year to year and get a sense of, like, what the first couple years of a Lindor deal look like. When Dan Zimborski looked at this for us at Fangraphs, he had Lindor with, like, his His median projection for 2020, so 2021. So he hits his 50th percentile projection for this season. What kind of contract does he get in free agency? And Dan had him, I think, at like nine years and $280 million. And if he hits his 90th projection, he gets like 10 years and 370 or something like that. So there's a range on this stuff, but he's going to be the best free agent in this class and the Mets are highly incentivized to sign him because they traded for him in the off season. And you don't do that if you don't bring him in for an extension. So like I refuse to believe that it matters to Steve Cohen, $10 million, $20 million. They're going to recoup that difference in the marketing that they can do around this guy being in New York for the rest of his career. So it's all very silly and some of it is squishy, but a lot of it we can kind of back our way into a reasonable figure for. And it's just like, just pay the guy. He's Francisco Lindor. Like, there's always risk to these long contracts. Absolutely. But if there are a handful of guys in baseball you're counting on to make that deal worthwhile for their franchise, it's definitely Francisco Lindor.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's see, everything that you just said is stuff that I've said to myself in an infinitely more pathetic voice. <laughs> like just in terms of like rationalizing how this is gonna go and where it might end up. And yet, like there's still this is the, the part of it that like I really hadn't anticipated being like that it came with the team. That there is like a a Metzian element of like, yeah, of course you wouldn't trade for this guy and then let him go, right? Like right. no one would do that. Except maybe the Mets. <laughs> Maybe the Mets would do that, and that has like really kind of stayed with me in a way that, like, when the Wilpons would do it, it was just because like it was these you know just like grouchy people and their stupid whims. But like, I thought they were gone, and I guess it's just like something that like it, the whatever type of super fund site the stadium is built upon, like that's just something that leeches through the groundwater, and everyone there is impacted by
1: it. Well, and it's not you know it's not like the Mets didn't do anything this off season, right? Like they they signed. James McCann to a weirdly long contract. They brought in Trevor May. They brought in Taiwan Walker. They brought in Kevin Pillar, but they didn't land their top targets in the free agent market, right? There's no George Springer in Queens. There's no Trevor yeah. Bauer in Queens, which might be a blessing for you, but like is, you know, something of an organizational failure insofar as they said they wanted to do it and couldn't get it done. So the, the big deals that were supposed to materialize this off season, didn't even materialize. So it's not like Cohen can credibly say, oh, well, we spent, you know, we committed $300 million of payroll this off season." So I don't know. Sorry, Frankie. Like, that didn't happen.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I think they'll sign him. I think he'll be okay. This, you'll be all right.
1: Yeah, I think... Yeah. The, the the alternate reading to all of this is that um, Steve Cohen knows how tired I am personally and <laughs> didn't want me to have to you know direct traffic on uh, a Lindor extension before opening day. So there is a reading of this that is um, very charitable and incredibly personal. I didn't know Steve cared so much.
0: Yeah, that's why so many people, I think, like him so much online, is that, like, yeah, he gets epic on there. Like, sure, <laughs> he has, like, Elon vibes, but he cares a lot yeah about uh, about people he doesn't know
1: <laughs> yeah i mean baseball this is such a weird fraught stupid thing i'm about to say i want to preface it by acknowledging all of those like baseball kind of needs a steve balmer like we're we would benefit from having an owner who is so enthralled by his weird ass team that he's like freaking out on the sidelines um and really probably should should calm down but is inclined to be dramatic i mean that part of it has some value um although i will continue to beat the drum of like don't be charmed by billionaires because that that way lies madness um yeah. so it's nice that he cares but it's like we still need to uh, uh better mold the con the contours of that care right
0: <laughs> yeah this is like we talked about this i mean where the rockies are concerned at work i mean just in terms of the it's a bad situation where the only owners that really seem to care enough to take an active role in their team, you know, success as they see it, are like Monfort grade idiots who, therefore, like their active role in it is just making sure that everybody's prayed up, yeah. and, like <laughs> making all kinds of strange personnel decisions on weird whims.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of weirdness in that work. That's
2: yeah, <laughs> it's kind of depressing when the the choices are between like that and you know, just some weird faceless hedge fund consortium that, like, owns the Marlins where you're like, I don't even know who's responsible for making this team suck and whoever it is, like, doesn't really care. And, like, I guess Cohen is a little bit outside of both of those. So that's, you know, however much solace you want to take in that for, like, the future of the team is is nice, I guess. But, like, I don't know. It's just even, you know, like, the the Cubs, like, Ricketts came in there, like, these, like, big you know, new money into the team and they, they did a lot of shit and they won world series and they just sort of regressed, like being the same kind of miserly, like, well, payroll, like kind of guys. So it's like, even when you get one of those owners, like who knows how long it's going to last.
1: Yeah. I think the, the, and I don't want to say that anyone is like an exemplary organization because the, the type can turn so fast. But like, I think that if we wanted to look at something that might approach a model that we uh, can get excited about, it's what's happening in San Diego, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, the Padres are not a big, you know, that's not a, a major media market. They are, they benefit from the fact that they are the sort of only big four sport in town. And so they have something of a monopoly there. And it took some changes in their ownership group and who the controlling owner was for this to happen. But like, they, Looked at Fernando Tatis Jr. and they were like, "He is one of the best guys on this team. He's gonna start opening day his rookie year. We're not gonna mess with his service time." And then they looked at Fernando Tatis Jr. again and they were like, "He's one of the best players in baseball. He's 22. He should be a forever Padre." And they gave him 340 million dollars. So there is there is a way that a team can say like. Yeah, we're we're good now. We want to stay good. We want this to be a baseball town and if we commit payroll to this organization, it's going to make us a lot of money in the long term even though we're already making a lot of money. So let's do it and like try to go win a World Series and, you know, knock the Dodgers off tilt. Um and you know, the Dodgers responded to that by saying we're going to blow through all three competitive balance tax thresholds, <laughs> incur draft penalties, sign a bunch of guys and punch back. And so I think that they're You know, each of these organizations has done stuff that is shifty and unethical. And so I don't want to be too, you know, like complimentary of any of them, but I think that there are alternatives that we can see in the marketplace right now that, you know, are trying to put winning good baseball on the field for their fans. And the fact that we have to like tick through five and then, you know, kind of shrug our shoulders and feel exasperated is part of what's wrong with the sport. But those do exist, so there is that at least. Please go to my baseball website and be excited about <laughs> baseball. Like it can still be really good, you guys. Some yeah, of baseball is, is the, still really great. Please. <laughs>
0: this is the buried the buried lead of this whole thing. Is like I am excited about baseball, man. I yeah. fucking love baseball. Yeah. Like this is the issue that, and that's been the part of it that like I think I've had the hardest time with. I only get to you know it's different. For you, Meg, because you get to write about this stuff. Get to write about this <laughs> stuff all the time. I know that I get, like, two Shohei Otani blogs per year. That's right. it. Because I don't write about them all the time. And I don't want to fucking burn one in March. And so I've sure. been, like, champing at the bit with every highlight where he hits a home run and it sounds like a, whatever, just a loud bomb exploding. Or he's throwing 100 miles an hour or whatever. And, like, all I want to do is, like, like night blog deadspin highlight posts. Like, look at this <laughs> shit. That's the headline. <laughs> And like I'll I'll get there in time. Yeah. Like, there's still enough cool stuff in the sport. That's what makes me mad about how recklessly it's being sort of like overseen yeah. by the people in charge of it.
2: Yeah, I, I am feeling myself uh, like very eager to jump into baseball this year. I was sort of like you, Roth. I kind of just wrote last year off completely, and this year has actually been nice because I don't feel any obligation to try and like pay attention to the Rockies, and that used to suck up so much of my time. So it used to be like. I check in on the Rockies and then try to watch two innings of a Otani start that starts at 10 30 PM and then fall asleep. But now I can just go straight to that. You know, I can take a nap when the Rockies game is supposed to be on and <laughs> stay up all night watching the angels. So I'm excited about that. I, I'm wondering, Meg, like how have you guys at Fangraphs been treating like the last, last season in your sort of projections and just like how sure. you're approaching this one? Like, is its it, is it was there, a, like, and I thought it was, like, let's just throw it out because it was so weird and short and, like, nobody was paying really, like, who knows how guys were performing relative to, you know, the, the conditions. So how, how have you guys been dealing with that?
1: Yeah, well, we didn't throw it out because it is data, even if it is data that um, is not subject to sort of the... Um the sanitization that goes on in the course of 162 mm-hmm. game season our projections um, that folks will see at the site for playoff odds and all sorts of stuff are sort of a 50 50 blend of the zip system and steamer and both of those um, tend to treat m- recent performance more uh, heavily right they weigh it more heavily which makes sense but for their projections this year 2019 is actually still um Getting a heavier weight than 2020 because Mm. 60 games is just not enough for us to see stuff sort of smooth out the way that you would expect to over the course of 162 games. And I think that that's the right approach. I mean, there are definitely going to be guys who made meaningful changes for good or ill last year that will um, stick through this year and sort of uh, impact the way they're projected going forward. But um because of the uncertainty there we we thought that that was the right approach and it's why like you know when you look at Christian Yelich's projection it's still really good it's not as good as it would have been if he had you know just been coming off two back to back like mvp worthy seasons but it's still good even though he had a down 2020 and like Jose Abreu's projection is solid but it's not five wins because every year he had before last year was less um, impressive than his 2020 was when he won mvp so i think that that balance is is sort of the right one i think the place where um projections are likely to get sort of undone this year is is less in the projections themselves than it is in injury and playing time concerns Mm -hmm. because we really have no idea how guys are going to respond to having had last year where they had two spring trainings and a weird ramp up and then just 60 games and pitchers did not get a whole year's worth of work in and so they're going to take a while to sort of ramp up and they probably won't be able to throw the same number of innings they would otherwise so there's that stuff and then I, I still think that we're not talking enough about the potential for continued like soft tissue injuries because like last year when the KBO season started their spring was weird too even though like good job having a competent country <laughs> um and the first couple of weeks of their season they had all of these guys go down with soft tissue injuries because spring had been so strange so i think that there's there's that piece of it that is just really hard for us to account for and so when you see teams at the end of the year and you're like wow it's weird that that team we thought was going to be really good ended up underperforming i think a lot of it's going to be due to injury or their their pitchers just running out of steam because They threw, you know, 15 starts last year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to keep all that in mind in terms of because I think part of what I'm excited about for, you know, the season is just the fact that, like, it's going to start out more normal than last season ever was. And if everything goes the way that you hope it's going to go, then, like, by the time we get to the fall, like, it'll be something like a baseball season. And I think that, like, that shape of it and the fact that it's happening on more or less on a schedule that we're familiar with, like, I am projecting a lot on that. Like, that is a, a load-bearing wish cast on my part. <laughs> and yet, like, I don't... Like, I think that, like, that requires a lot of rounding up in terms of, like, figuring out, like, just how normal it will actually be for players and teams. And, like, you're right that that is 100% not given.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, in terms of the players themselves... Um, you know a lot of them have talked about how hard last year was for them um even the guys who did not get sick you know the the covid protocols are burdensome they're important and necessary so i don't mean to say that we should just like let you know these guys run wild cuz even with protocols sometimes they are like man i really want to go to dinner though and like, <laughs> do it and then it's a problem so um you know, but it it wore on them. It's hard to be displaced from your family that much, and um, I think that that this year should be more normal from that perspective. And the league and the players' association are trying to incentivize guys getting vaccinated. So if they if eighty five percent of their tier one employees, so that's their players and then the staff members who have close contact with players, get vaccinated, some of the protocols loosen up a little bit. Um, being able to hear fans like real fans and not the canned crowd sound which i think was one of the most disorienting things for me about baseball last yeah, year know. the the guys well the folks uh, there's you know guys and gals all sorts of people um who ran the soundboards i think did um a pretty good job but there were a couple of times where it was like you know the the home starter would give up a home run and then the crowd would cheer and <laughs> that's this is yeah. bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah. The algorithm must be tweaked. Last year really
2: hammered home for me just like how important the scenery is for my enjoyment of baseball. Not even just crowds, but like just the uh, just like the numbers too. Like I just yeah. I just did not like having to look at you know the numbers at the end of the season and being like well Yon Mancada hit six home runs like I'm supposed to know what that means right. like, is that good? it's just it's very much like a sport that I realized like I just am able to enjoy the most when it can sort of wash over me sort of easily and I'm just like yeah this is baseball this is how it's supposed to be like this is stuff I recognize and like if anything about that gets thrown off it just it, it, I had a a really hard time making it work for me and like it wasn't the same with basketball like basketball I was like this is fine whatever i don't i don't really care if there's no fans there but baseball is a whole different thing and i guess that makes me you know going into this season like appreciate it a little more than i did before yeah. i suppose and like more excited to have have the normal stuff back
1: I will say I expected last year to feel. I, I agree with you that it was hard to look at like a leaderboard and be like, "Oh, is that guy good?" Yeah. Like, what does that number mean in context? Because you don't have um, the scale that you're used to. I did expect it to feel more asterixy than it did, though. I think it was, you know, we can debate how advisable it was for them to play at all, which it probably wasn't. Um, but it was this really hard thing that they did that seemed impossible and they managed it even with a lot of you know blundering and risk along the way and so i i was like oh this was this was a real baseball season to me because like (laughs) the conditions that they were playing under were so bizarre and difficult that i was i found myself impressed even though i was like you guys probably should have been at home this whole time anyway um but yeah i am i am excited to like know who's good and (laughs) uh uh be able to to hear the sound i'm used to when i'm you know have a game on in the background while i'm working um and be like yeah that's baseball that's baseball as i know it
0: yeah i'll take it we're gonna take a a little break and then we come back we're gonna do the dumb stuff that we always do we're back from our, our break to do the dumb stuff that we always do Um, I debated bringing back the mashup in Drew's absence Mm. because I thought that that would cause him great harm, but I don't want to do it, so we're not going to do
2: that. I don't want to get any more emails about, please kill the mashup.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is, I mean, they they have not really experienced how bad it could get, like, in terms of me self-consciously singing, like half of a yeah. song of bruce springsteen's tunnel of love album
2: <laughs> I, I try to i try to leave you guys alone on the podcast that was the one time and i was like damn i do think i need to say something Because so i was, just, I was just, i'm not on like i have no involvement with the podcast and like people still fought to email me and they were like please get drew to stop doing the
0: matchup and i was yeah, like this is the i don't even know what you're talking about my head <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, there's plenty of that in the comments. Meg, to get you up to speed on this, Drew would like just sing half of a white lion song and then half of a Frank Sinatra song. Oh. And I would be tasked with having to guess which was which. Uh-huh. And there are some ardent defenders of it. But also there were a lot of other people that were like, your podcast has been referred to. the Hague. <laughs> Never do this again. He
1: did that more than one time. He did it, it was like enough a times
0: Aww. that people were literally emailing his boss at a worker-owned <laughs> co-op to be like, "I know you guys are all about supporting each other and everything, but like, have you thought about having Drew hospitalized against his will?"
2: <laughs> yeah, the emails I, were not even like slightly joking. They were like, uh, "You seriously <laughs> need to get him to stop doing this."
0: <laughs> I, I
1: want. Okay. Like, I do feel like I should say that the 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 reason that I am not familiar with this is not because I. I you know have a problem with your pod but because i don't listen to any pods anymore um because i don't have a commute or you know anywhere to go but
0: (laughs) yeah when would you do it yeah like the i i am not offended which means that this the segments that we do here will be delightful surprises to you yeah i look forward to uh to experiencing that delight secondhand (laughs) through you (laughs) I'm not going to do dead or canceled either because, like, that's also a Drew thing. But there is a better remember a guy segment. And I I tried to pick one that you both would be able to enjoy. Uh, Your guy of the week is Jeff Cirillo. Do you have any treasured memories?
2: Love Jeff Cirillo.
1: God. Wow.
2: (laughs) All I remember about Jeff Cirillo is that he, like, he hit, like, 316 every year. And that's all he did. He didn't do anything else. He played third base and he hit 300. And he had two good seasons with the Rockies. He, like, I think... He, we signed him as a free agent or something, and then he was there for two years, and he was, like, just good old steady Jeff Cirillo.
0: Hardcore Rocky. A hardcore brewer. Yeah. Like, I think none more brewer than mm-hmm. Jeff Cirillo. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, a Jeff Jenkins-grade brew guy.
1: Yeah. Wow. You know, God, You know what? Good for Jeff Cirillo. I just pulled up Jeff Cirillo's player page. I don't have like super strong memories of Jeff Cirillo because... Yeah, he even, wasn't
0: that good with the Mariners either yeah, because he, that was the end.
1: Yeah, he was pretty forgettable with Seattle and that was... Well, we didn't know that that was the beginning of their slump, but um, the, that was sort of the beginning of them not, uh, not being in the playoffs ever again. Um, and so because he was an NL guy when I was a kid and I grew up watching mostly AL baseball as a Mariners fan, like I didn't have any brew crew impression of him, but he had some really good little seasons with the Brewers. He had he had a 5-win season in 97 and a 6.5-win season in 98 and hit for just really very little power at all. I mean, he had a couple of 14, 15 home run years, so that's maybe not totally he- fair, but...
2: He would hit a lot of doubles. He hit, like, a shitload of doubles yeah, for sure the years with the Rockies, I remember. So that was always fun. Like, a guy who just hits the ball into the gap it's great. Yeah,
0: that's, like, a type of guy that is not really, like, developed as much anymore. Like, there's more of an emphasis on, like, rectangular stomp-and-lift, like, homer strikeout guys. Yeah. But I think the idea of, like, just committing a corner infield spot to a dude that, like, really didn't do very well at hitting the ball over the fence, but otherwise was good at other stuff, like, I I would love to see that come back. Yeah,
2: would it even be, like, I'm trying to think of a contemporary player who could even possibly hit 53 doubles and 11 home runs in a season now. like. Um, like, could anyone do that? Like every, well, everyone's just turning all those into homers. Like that, yeah, but
0: then they all start hitting homers. Like yeah. Jeff McNeil on the Mets looked like a guy that was going to do that, and then like started whatever. Now he's like a twenty homer guy, which is like cool, but it sort of takes away from the idea of him just being like a a guy that was annoying to play against. Like he now he's sort of like a similar version of other yeah.
1: because like players. even the really heavy contact guys aren't necessarily super doubles oriented, right? Like Nick Madrigal isn't going to hit much uh, uh, much or any home runs like he literally didn't hit any last year he's got very little power he's mostly a singles dude who's then bolstered by like really good defense so it's a it, it is a profile that is in short supply but yeah especially especially in cores and the way that, that play that field plays like those doubles dudes are so much fun there i'm so sad for you that this team sucks cuz that ballpark and my, my mom's family is from colorado that ballpark is so beautiful
2: mm-hmm and it's, it's, uh, the
1: team is so bad and weird.
2: Yeah, the ballpark is – it's crazy now because it's its always been, like, an awesome place to watch a game. But now it's also, like, uh, one of the oldest ballparks right. left in the league. So it's, like, also has that charm going for it, even though that feels totally undeserved just because everyone keeps tearing down their ballparks. So it's, like, yeah. if you want to go to one of the oldest and, uh, you know, most beautiful stadiums in the world, like – come to Coors Field feels like a weird thing to say but that's that's how it works now
0: well no it's yeah, gonna keep appreciating in value too as like teams tear down 18 year old stadiums and just like move into a large bass pro shop period yeah. yeah
1: I have been told that globe life is nice on the inside and that it plays badly on TV but I think I've been lied to I, yeah, I might I have to like engage in an investigation because like I said I like chase and it has sort of a similar. You're in a Costco, and there's a baseball game going on vibe. Yeah, Coors is and like the area around Coors is fun now. Although my grandmother, who like lives in Boulder and New Denver at a very different era in Denver's history, is like, I don't know if it's safe to be out around there late. And I'm like, I think it's fine, Grandma. I think it's nice now. Yeah, they used to be
2: okay. (laughs) Used to just be the absolute worst part of town. Yeah, never go to. But yeah, it's it's also like one of the rare stadiums that still feels like it's in the downtown. Right. You, it literally is just in the middle of the city of Denver, uh, yeah. which, you know, is increasingly rare too. So hope, I don't think they'll ever get rid of it. I mean, the mon- what the fuck are they going to do? They're not going to build another stadium. So hopefully no. it just stays. It's the least they could do for us. Just keep the stadium at least.
1: I don't know. Yeah, if, I think that.
0: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you got it. Go ahead. I
1: was going to say, I don't know why this makes me feel old, but... Uh, there's something about Jess Cirillo only being 51 that feels weird to me, but also yeah. makes me feel old. I don't know yeah. what that's about. He's really fifty. Veteran ball
0: players of your, like, real early youth than just, like, still being, like, you know, viably middle-aged yeah. doesn't necessarily seem right. Yeah. I
2: think it's probably because he played so late. He played till he was, like, 37. Right. So, yeah, he's, he's younger than you think now what i'm
0: with players from my youth because everybody looks so fucked up and old yeah. like in ball player, like just aesthetics in the 80s when they and were the like twenty nineties 90s were so bad that like finding out that like charlie huff is alive is <laughs> shocking to me but it's mostly because like when he was like 38 like he sincerely looked like hal holbrook playing mark
2: twain <laughs> i'm like i'm just looking at Cirillo's, uh player page again and like we got to bring back doubles. That's my that's my thing. We're, bring them back. we're bringing let's, we're bringing doubles very strongly. We need we're to be look, doing we'll be them looking more. Into that. Yeah.
0: Okay. I I'd, I'd say in 2 weeks, maybe 3 weeks, we'll have doubles back. <laughs> so that'll be <laughs> I do feel like that's like in a serious sense, I have no idea how this would be enforced. I do feel like some formal variance variance across the league is like important for baseball. That like teams need to have different weird styles. And yeah, yeah. what's your you take know?
2: on that? Like on the whole, you know, uh, it's all just strikeouts and homers now. Like are you are you one of the people who who wants more like just balls and play, more hit and run, less homers? Like I, I didn't think I was like that, but every year the velocity and the homers just keep going up and up. And I'm starting yeah. to be like, uh, can we maybe de juice this ball or like change the defensive rules or something?
1: I I think that we have to think really carefully about how to do it because my concern with the way that um major league baseball has sort of started to approach this is that home runs are really holding up the offense league wide and so if we don't have an effective mechanism to get the ball in play more often and have that actually result in base hits there's just going to be very little offense at all um and i don't think that that's what anyone wants i do like the variability like one of the cool things about baseball is that like jose altuve can be good and aaron judge can be good and that You know, those people can exist in the same game with Alejandro Kirk and they all are baseball players and they're all way more athletic than I am, even though, you know, Alejandro Kirk is like a bowling ball. So I think that um, we we need to be intentional about it, because what I don't want to have happen is um, an attempt to prioritize contact that fails a de-juiced ball, although I still don't think that we really know what the, like, we haven't gotten to know this year's ball. We don't know its character, or, like where it likes to go to brunch. Um, we haven't
0: sniffed it and like made an appri- apprising noise. Yeah.
1: And so I, I, um, I think that there needs to be a, a good deal of care there. I think that if baseball is, for instance, able to actually more effectively counter uh the use of substances on the ball by pitchers Mm. like that would be a good first step because part of the problem is these guys are throwing super hard with crazy spin and it's like well yeah of course you know offense is down except for the home run like that's really hard to counter so i it's a tricky problem like you know hitting is naturally reactive and so to say like oh go hit better it's like well yeah dipshit of course like we're all trying (laughs) to do that right or like people are like well they should just hit it you know the other way with the shift and it's like you know how hard it is to hit a baseball yeah like it's this is hard this is a hard problem so yeah i i I like big home runs and I like strikeout pitchers, but I think that having a more diverse ecosystem is also to the game's benefit. So
2: it does seem to me like something that stems less from you know the composition of the ball from year to year, and more just like from the you know leaps that pitchers are making in velocity and spin yeah. and shit like. Like I'm sure you saw the who is it Blake Trinan or whatever through that fucking hundred mile an hour slider. Yeah, and it's just like what. Are you, who's who's supposed to do anything with that so like if guys are just doing that and like i mean maybe you can cut down on it a little bit by cracking down on sunscreen and and you know other substances that they're they're loading up the ball with but like if that's just what pitchers are now there's only so much you can do because like you said if you dejuice the ball then guys are just swinging at those sliders and grounding out to second and like right or second can be fun if the guy dives and you know like but that's only fun for a little bit. So I, right. aside from like I don't know, just like telling pitchers to relax. I don't really know like what the answer is.
0: Well, I think you cannot make it illegal to be a wet guy. Yeah, it's <laughs> to the Could spirit. You all just game. calm down. The a of the bit? country, indeed. <laughs> I, yeah, that, everybody, take it easy. I do
1: think that like some of the stuff that they're trying to do in the minors with the rules they're experimenting with, there with like making the bases bigger and changing some of the rules around pickoffs so that um, theoretically you're, you know, you're going to make it easier for guys to steal. Like I think that part of it is intriguing because like it, the, the, they seem to understand the problem there. You need to fundamentally change the calculus around when it makes sense to try to steal a base versus when it doesn't, because we're all too smart about this shit now. So um, I think that that part of it might be promising. Although I think a, as a penalty for like a third pickoff that doesn't get the guy is like pretty extreme but i i think they're trying i don't want to give manfred like any credit at all i do think that the um the willingness to tinker could be a good instinct like that impulse could be fine as long as it's thought through carefully it isn't in service of like you know getting more ad breaks into a broadcast and we're willing as an audience to say oh we tried that and it didn't work so we'll go try a different thing right like we in order to get baseball that looks like we want it to i think we all collectively also have to be like a little bit less precious about it because we can be that seems we can be kind of fair
0: enough thing to ask yeah we're going to do one fun bag question just out out of custom and then we are going to dip out but uh are, are you ready yeah is everybody, I feel like you have to ask with stuff like this. Um, the, all right. This question is from Kyle. As a Kentuckian, is there some protocol for having a favorite pro team when your home state doesn't host any? If the choice is based on nearby franchises, I posit Kentucky as one of the very worst places in terms of teams. You've got the Bengals, Browns, Colts, Titans, Reds, Cardinals, Pacers, Cavs. Bobcats and Blue Jackets. Yikes. The Grizzlies and the Predators are the only decent ones that come to mind. The reason I ask is because I'm 41 and the only professional team I've consistently rooted for since my childhood is the Atlanta Falcons. And that's because uh, my uncle met Chris Miller once. (laughs) (laughs) How? So I've had to do this in terms of like moving places, like where I picked a team because I need something in my time zone. But I went from the New York metro area to Southern California. So I just, I picked the wrong teams. In LA County and, and called it a day.
1: Yeah, wow. I I have something of this in my background. I went to an all women's college, so like when I was thinking about what college football teams to root for, I was like, I, I don't have that. I mean, the oh, yeah. that rugby team Same. could kick the shit out of people, but it was not <laughs> a Division one football program. Um, but I had the benefit of just like being from Seattle, so I was like, I root for UW, I guess. Um. Man, that's I, – I, I think the Grizzlies are pretty fun.
0: So, yeah, I think that the thing that I would encourage on this is just basically to, you know, follow your heart. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of – which is corny advice, but also, like, it's not a serious or important question, so you don't need to take it too seriously or important. Like, I think that for me, like, when I went to school in Los Angeles, like, I was a Nets fan, and I couldn't see my Nets. I could barely see them in New Jersey because they weren't always on TV. And I just decided to become a Clippers fan, which is stupid. Yeah. Uh, it was stupid. You know, it's, it would be a weird choice now. It was an unacceptable, like, just appalling choice then. This was, like, before Lamar Odom even got there. Like, it was just basically, like, whatever, Donald Sterling parading some soap opera actors through the locker room being like, that's Lamar Murray, <laughs> isn't he beautiful? Like, it sucked. And I don't know what it was in me beyond, like, the, the defects that have come to comprise my entire being that led me to make that choice. But I did it, you know, with my whole heart, it felt right. And I think that's like the only way that you can really do something like this. Yeah. Everybody would adopt the Grizzlies if they could. I think.
2: My my answer to Kyle is, you know, just to get yeah, liberate yourself, man. Like don't like with, with the way things are now, you can watch any team anywhere, no matter where right. you live. Like it, geography does not matter. Like my current most fulfilling, you know, personal fandom is for a, the soccer team that plays in England. And like, I just started paying attention to them like five years ago and it's great fun. Like you can watch games on TV. You can read about them on the internet. Like don't worry about living in Kentucky. If you want to root for the Mariners or whatever, just do it. Nobody's going to care.
0: You got nothing to lose, but your Bengals fan. Can
1: can I offer an alternative to Kyle? If he is willing to dip into the thrilling world of college baseball, I don't know where in Kentucky he's from, but he should root for, for Vandy. He should root, root for those, Vandy Boys, a thing we have allowed to happen in
0: the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they put it on their stadium. They call oh, yeah. themselves the Vandy Boys. The
1: Vandy Boys. That's They're
2: uh there. that's Kumar Rocker, right? That's, Kumar Rocker, yeah, Kumar a
0: Roger, lighter, yeah. lot of like tight pants aficionados. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Um that that team is is delightfully fun to watch. And if the, the ping of college baseball is not a, a turnoff for you, I might I might offer that. The best thing about college baseball is that like the fielding is only like at times sixty percent as good as it is once they reach the minors. And it it just is it's a more fun game that way. It's better when they can't field well. Maybe that's the key. We should put ankle weights on every major leaguer and say Go try again and see how it goes.
2: Yeah, we've we've actually I think over the course of this podcast fixed baseball. We came up with uh, we're bringing back doubles very strongly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're telling all of the pitchers to please just relax a little yeah, bit chill out. with all that shit that they're doing. Yeah, and then we're telling fielders to uh, you know do work do a little worse. Yeah, and again, then, chill out. Yeah, everyone just needs to like, fucking calm down with how yeah. good they're getting at baseball and uh, everything's going to be great. And bringing back doubles—that's the yeah. main one. We
0: did it. Um, well, Meg, thank you for helping us solve this by um, making baseball 20% worse <laughs> and slower across the board. It's my pleasure. Uh, but thanks for joining us. And uh, I will mention it in, at the very end, but do you want to plug the Fangraphs membership drive that is ongoing? Because I endorse people becoming members of Fangraphs.
1: I do. Thank you. Yeah, we're we're doing our spring membership drive. The pandemic hit a baseball site with no baseball pretty hard last year, and we had to Basically, reformulate our entire business model on the fly. And we are dependent on member support to keep the site running and to keep it growing. Um, so you can sign up for a membership today at fangraphs.com Ad free memberships are $50 annually. It makes the site really hum along, especially if you use some of the more data heavy parts of the site. And as an extra bit of incentive, I will share, as David Appleman did, that. Our membership prices are going to go up a little bit later on in the summer, Um, so if you sign up between now and June 1st, you will continue to enjoy the current pricing. If you are an existing member and you maintain your membership, whenever it renews, uh, you will be grandfathered into that pricing until at least 2023. We really appreciate it. We wouldn't be here without our reader support from last year. And uh, while ad rates are a little better than they were last year, we continue to rely on that support to to keep humming along. So I hope you'll consider a membership uh, and help out the site and support the work we're
0: doing there. Do we love love our subscriber-driven models, folks? We love them. Aren't they great? We're hearing it more. We're hearing it more. Yeah. Alright, well, uh, thank you for being with us, Meg uh, Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer Daisy Rosario is our executive producer Our theme song is by the great Kirk Hamilton You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now Just go to stitcherpremium.com on the internet and use promo code DISTRACT Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and please go subscribe to defector.com too It's good, it's like Fangrass grade good Uh, Thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me. Bye.